You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast pace. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Socks will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas show on a Tuesday right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I missed you guys yesterday. You know, I missed you guys yesterday. Was not anticipating not having a show. Was not ready to not have a show. Came in yesterday thinking we were having a show, and then the boss calls me in and says, hey, we're going to pick up the NASCAR race. I'm like, hey, that's cool. Our listeners like NASCAR, but uh, I wasn't ready to not have a show. So hope... uh, Hope you guys are back and ready to get at it because I certainly am back and ready to get at it today as well. Brady Farkas show full in on a Tuesday. Plenty to get to. We'll recap the NCAA tournament with former Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan. He'll be with us in about 15 minutes. We'll take a look at some more Red Sox news. And we, hard to believe, opening day just two days away. I cannot wait for it. Yesterday, since we didn't have a show, we just put our interview up on the podcast channel. We spoke with Phil Perry, Patriots insider, one of the best from NBC Sports Boston. We'll have some of his clips in today's show with the full interview, certainly worth listening to. A lot of talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Newton, and the Pats' plans in the draft as well. So if you want to get in, you can on the Napa text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. So uh, feel free to hit that up. All show long. Let's get to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. Evidently, the 49ers want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, but does Jimmy Garoppolo want to be there still? First off, here's Kyle Shanahan, Niners head coach, yesterday. This doesn't change any of his circumstances right now. I mean, he's still coming in here and trying to lead this team. I told him how excited I was that free agency went a lot better than we anticipated with being able to sign um, a lot more of our own players than we had thought going into it. Uh, We still plan on him leading us and getting as far as we can with him. Think about this. Isn't this a very ironic situation Think about how ironic this is. This was Jimmy Garoppolo on the other side a few years ago when the Patriots thought they had Tom Brady's replacement and Brady held him off and Brady won. Could Jimmy G do that for the 49ers? A couple of years ago, Jimmy G was the young, hot guy trying to unseat the incumbent, and he wasn't able to do it. Could Jimmy G hold off the young, hot guy in the way that Brady did in San Francisco I think likely not. I think Jimmy G, his days are done in San Fran. It may not be this offseason, but it's definitely next offseason, okay? I think for Jimmy Garoppolo to even have a chance at holding off his future replacement, his successor, 
he's got to get to the NFC title game at least. Like, don't you think that? Like, at least he's got to get to the NFC title game. This team wants to upgrade. The 49ers want to upgrade at the quarterback position, and they just paid a premium in order to do that. They want Jimmy G gone, and the only way he can hold off that momentum, I think, is by getting to at least the NFC title game, being in the Super Bowl or being one game away from it. And if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, if you're I'm putting asking you the texter, if you are in, if you are Jimmy Garoppolo, how do you feel today? Because me, I'd feel betrayed. I because the relationship he has with the 49ers has now come completely full circle. Remember, the 49ers went out and got Jimmy Garoppolo. They sought him out from the New England Patriots. And by the way, they then signed him to a long-term deal. There is no greater compliment. There is no greater sign of trust than when a team goes out and acquires you. And then they go out and sign you. And they give you multiple years. And they give you big money. And they help you through your rehab. There is no greater sign of love, commitment, and trust than when somebody goes after you and commits to you long term. And now, it feels like you have been stabbed in the back if you are Jimmy Garoppolo. That's how this would feel. I'd absolutely, one. 100% feel betrayed today if I were Jimmy Garoppolo. Look, the 49ers have a plan to keep Jimmy G and let him play next year with a good team while the young guy sits back and gets ready and learns and develops. And I think that that's an admirable I think that's an admirable thing the 49ers are doing. It's similar, the Bills did it with Josh Allen, right? Like Tyrod Taylor played no, they didn't. Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback, got him to the playoffs, and then they went and drafted Josh Allen. So it's a little bit different in that Josh Allen was not on the roster for Tyrod Taylor, but Tyrod Taylor took a team to the playoffs, and then they jettisoned him so they could trade up in the draft and go get Josh Allen. He wasn't on the roster, but Tyrod Taylor, you know, he was kicked to the curb for a newer model. Same thing is going to happen to Jimmy G. Okay, We saw this with Alex Smith. And Patrick Mahomes, right? It's a good plan. You have it's it's what I've been advocating for for the Patriots to do, right? You have the veteran quarterback stopgap, and then you have the young guy waiting in the wings. The question is though, does Jimmy Garoppolo want to be that stopgap? Does he want to? What I'm sure is through all the hurt and all the anger, does he want to suit up for the San Francisco 49ers? Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, who I had on yesterday, even though we didn't have a show, he's also questioning the same thing. Does Jimmy G want to be that stopgap guy? It's hard for me to see a starting quarterback of a good team where you're expected to 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 a certain extent, rally the guys, Brady. That is still a leadership position. It's hard for me to envision a human being in that leadership position and taking that thing by the reins as soon as the team has told him, we don't want you anymore. And so I get all the reporting right now, and I understand it to an extent. It's not similar. It's not It's not totally similar to that Smith scenario, though, because I think they're different people, and it, the trade happened at a different time. Like The Niners are desperate to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what this trade tells you. Yeah. And now he's going to stay and be happy to be the quarterback to lead a good team. It's hard for me to envision. 
I would feel absolutely betrayed. The 49ers have done a couple of really good things here, right? They win all in. If you want to go get your guy, they win all in. They are not going to not have the quarterback of the future. They're not going to settle for somebody lesser than their guy. They say, we're going to be aggressive, and we have a finite time with this really good roster. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to go get our guy. That's admirable. They even then, I think, do the smart thing organizationally by saying, look, we got a guy in Jimmy who we like. We're not in love with him, but we like him, and he's pretty good. And he can take this roster this year, and the young guy doesn't have any pressure. The 49ers were aggressive, which is good, and they developed a smart plan, which is good. They, they planned for the future in a way that we accuse the Patriots of not doing. All of that is fine. What they haven't taken into account is, is Jimmy Garoppolo so hurt, so betrayed, so ticked off that he doesn't want to play that role. Does he just want to move on? And I, you know what? If that were me, man, if it were me, I don't know how I'd feel. Like, I know how I'd feel, which is betrayed, but what do I do? If I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, do I want to force a trade now? Where are my options? New England is an option, but they like Cam. It's not a guarantee that I beat Cam out. Chicago was an option. They just gave Jimmy uh, uh, Andy Dalton $10 million. Could I beat him out? Maybe. Will they give me money? I don't know. There aren't a lot of I mean, am I waiting for Deshaun Watson to either get suspended or traded and now maybe I end up in Houston? Maybe. If you're Jimmy Garoppolo, what do you do? 802-585-3026. What do I think I'd do if I were Jimmy Garoppolo? I think I'd probably get resentful. I'd probably get ticked. I'd probably stick it out and try to win the Super Bowl. And then they want done with me, I want done with them. Because of when this has happened, my guess is I probably stick it out and try to hold off the you know hold off the newcomer. And then my goal is to take this roster, win a Super Bowl, and then leave everybody in the organization behind. That that would see that I think that is my thought process. If there were ten options for Jimmy G, I'd say you know what, screw you, I'm out. But I don't think there are 10 options for Jimmy G. There's New England, which is a maybe. There's Chicago, which is a maybe. There's Houston, which is a maybe. Although Tyrod Taylor is there and he's waiting in the wings if something happens with Deshaun Watson. Like, I don't know where Jimmy Garoppolo goes and starts and sticks it to the 49ers. He may have to swallow his pride for this year, try to win the Super Bowl, and then say, screw you, I'm out. We're done next year, and now I can go beat you. But uh, when Phil Perry asks, does Jimmy G want to be in San Francisco, I don't think he does. He may have to, though. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, one half of the Final Four is set. Houston wins yesterday. Baylor wins yesterday. Two more games tonight coming up in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. What do we see tonight? Do the Zags go unbeaten this season? And former Catamount Steph Smith chooses St. John's as his next school. Is that a good choice? Former Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan, he's with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at evanhallstromracing.com. He led Vermont to its greatest win in program history. Oh, my goodness! Sorrenti hit that one from the parking lot! He's the architect of the Catamounts basketball program. Vance Jennings, UVM. And he's with us now. It's time for our weekly talk with former UVM basketball coach Tom Brennan on the Brady Farkas Show. On WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. NCAA tournament last night, two teams punching their ticket to the Final Four with Houston and Baylor. We do it all again today with another pair of of uh, Elite Eight matchups, Gonzaga in action today. And joining us now to break it all down is our guy, former UVM basketball coach, the legend himself, Tom Brennan, TB. How are you? I am I am wonderful, my boy. And you know what? I never thought uh, I would need you to say that every time we started out the show, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> well, I'm glad to give you a little ego boost. I got to tell you, um, the games last night ended – Good. You know, the Houston uh, game was real dull early, Houston and Oregon State. But uh, I was locked in on Baylor-UConn women during that game. That was a great game, too. That was a great game. And uh, obviously, it's hard, you know, it's hard to root for either one of those people because of the way they just crush everybody all the time. Yeah. So, it, uh, you know, and I kind of was hoping one of them would crush the other, but it did not happen. And, uh, yeah, they were. that was a great game. And uh, – as I don't know if you know this or not, but my son coaches. He's not the head coach, but he's the associate head coach of um, Easy Fudd from St. John's down in D.C. And she's the number one player this year, number one. Mm. Uh, in high, and she's going to UConn next year. So wow. um, keep, remember that name, AZ Fudd. Um, and, and I'm telling you, man, you know me. I'm an old cynic. And and uh, he, he'd say, Dad, I got we got this girl on our team, and she is lights out. She is so good. This is when she was a freshman. Hmm. And so this year, of course, she got knocked out because everything went bad. But last year, I went to see her, and I thought, oh, my goodness, who? How could, how could anybody be better than this girl? You know, she was so good. So anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. She goes to UConn next year. But, um, uh, but that Becker's kid is some player, huh? She was great. She had 28 last night, freshman. Uh, hard to believe that her and Jalen Suggs, the kid from Gonzaga, went to the exact same high school. Like, imagine having two top recruits in each sport at the same school in Minnesota. How about it, right? Right. I mean, and and I want to tell you this right now. You can have Kate Cunningham. You can have him. I will take Suggs and be very happy with my choice. You know what he is? He's a football player that plays basketball. You love that. You love to see that. I love Suggs. I love Gonzaga. Obviously, everybody loves Gonzaga. Um, yeah. Do you like the idea of a team going unbeaten, or do you like that being held with the uh, sanctity of the uh, mid-'70s Indiana team? You know, let me say, first of all, the mid-'70s weren't that good to me. Okay, yeah. so I have no no sanctity for yeah. the mid-'70s. But, uh, <laughs> but the idea that um, 
Uh, they are so spectacular. I, I'm going to tell you this. I thought, right from the jump, I thought um, Kispert, you know, he's a pretty boy. And they beat Pepperdine three times a year. You know, yeah. what the hell's a big deal? He changes his hairstyle more than Brady. Got the headband going. Uh, and I was so very wrong. That boy is a baller, flat out. Yeah. Great basketball player. And one of many that they have. So I, again, because I couldn't stay up late enough most times, and when you do stay up, they're up 20 to 4 and out of the door. <laughs> you know? So I was, an, I was a non-believer, not, not a non-believer, but a, just a, a bit of a cynic, and I don't know. But once I, I saw them in the first couple of rounds of the tournament, I don't, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think anybody can beat them. And I'm okay with it because, uh, you know, it's not like they went 15-0. and 0. You know, they're going to go 30-some and 0, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I'm okay with it. And I do think there were times the other night when they made Creighton look like the yeah. Washington Generals, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Spun and cut and moved and – you know, so no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stone believer, no doubt about it. They, uh, I think they're going to go all the way, and I, and I think it'll be really neat, especially because it's been so long. Well, Gonzaga is going to take on USC tonight at seven fifteen, so a little while from now. And and TB, do you have extra love for Gonzaga considering they're a mid major, or are they no longer a mid major in your eyes? Well, I do have extra love for them because of our history with them with Vermont uh, and even Yale. I, I went out there and. We played in a, a thing called the Spokane Shootout, and uh, it was laughable. It was just it was laughable, and uh, it was just a nice chance. And they were trying to get a couple teams from the east, and um, and I thought to myself, "Ah, they got a nice little program here, you know, they're all right." <laughs> and ten years later, my goodness, they were Gonzaga. So, um, but it gives everybody hope. I, I think it's hard to do in the east. I think it's a lot harder to do because there are so many more schools. I think that's a big part of it. But what they've done is incredible. And yes, sir, uh, or no, sir, they are no longer a mid-major, that's for sure. Tom Brennan, former UVM basketball coach, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, as he is every single Tuesday on WDEV. The other game tonight is UCLA and Michigan. And, you know, TB, I hope I frame this right, but, like, it bothers me that this matchup is being billed as some, you know, low seed trying to upset the number one like this is ucla this i i like and just like it was syracuse and even oregon state i know they were under 500 but like they got a 12 seed and everybody's trying to make it this huge upset that they had won last night like oregon state plays in the pack 12 like right. 11 seed and 12 seeds to me should be reserved for george mason or hey, uvm man. you're you're so right you're so right my argument has been uh, every time Brad, like I don't want to hear uh, that they were the ninth team in the Pac-12, but the league was so competitive. That's nonsense. If you're the ninth team in that league, you have every resource you need to be the first team in that league. Or maybe, yeah. if not the first, the second, third, or fourth, or fifth, which will automatically get you into the tournament, you know? So I, I, I don't buy any of that stuff, man. I don't, want to, I don't want to hear that. I mean, if, if you're at Oregon State, you got everything you need. If you walk into Oregon State, Brady, and they're recruiting you, you're blown away. I don't even know what the hell they have. I don't. But I know you're blown away when you walk down a hall and they have all the historical stuff, and then you go into this magnificent locker room, and then you go to the magnificent dining room. You know, all those things that the keep up with the Joneses people have to do now. So I don't, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm not buying that underdog stuff. I will say I didn't like them. I didn't think they were any good at all. I, I scratched my head when they kept winning games. I really did. But, uh, you know, and that's the, that's the kind of the, uh, 
uh, things go bump in the night mentality of the tournament. You know, you just have that. Uh, or over this, Brady, how about this? I was not. I mean, I think Porter Moser is a hell of a coach, and I, I think that they were so lucky to get to the Final Four the first time yeah. they got there. So lucky, but that don't matter. They got there. But to think that, oh, yeah, they were they were in the Final Four. Well, yeah, they were. They were kind of gifted into the Final Four by making three shots at the buzzer. Yeah. So I never, had the, I never had this whole idea that they were going to do this again and they were going to become somebody. I didn't, I didn't think that at all. I, I love Krautwig. He was a tremendous player. Yeah, very good. You know, but Williamson, you know, Williamson that was three for fifteen or whatever. Uh, he was the other guy that had been there. So I, I never, bought, I never really bought into that. You know, I, I was, I was rooting for him. If they made it, it would have been fine. But I, I never thought this idea that they, they now they are this perennial mid, mid uh, major power. I'm not, I'm not buying that yet. The thing they have going for them, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week, is that once you've had tournament success. You know, for better or worse, the committee looks at you differently. So now you're going to start getting to the tournament and getting better and better seeds. And, like, I saw this with Siena when I lived in Albany. Siena got a 13 one year. They beat Vanderbilt. They returned the whole team the next year. And the next year they got a 9. And they beat Ohio State. And if that team had stayed together or the program had stayed good and Fran McCaffrey hadn't left, then it would have been a 7. Then it would have been a 5. Then it would have been a three, and then you're Wichita State. Like once you, <laughs> like once you get tournament success, the committee looks more favorably on you. And when we talk about UVM, in my mind, like that's what UVM needs to win a game as a fourteen, to then get a twelve, yeah, to win right, a game right. in two games and get there as a ten. And like now, it's just got to build over a period of years to where you can right. get to be a Gonzaga. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, we were I, we were sixteen once, I think that uh, maybe twice, and then. Uh, uh, then we were, we got up to a 13, but because we had a, we had been there and we had a good team coming back, you know, I think it's exactly exactly what you're saying. And uh, uh, and and you know the the uh, the game the uh, uh, Loyola game was a mess, you know yeah. that, that game was just a mess. And and I thought and I got I got screamed down for this in my other appearances, but uh, I I just thought they there was so much pressure on them because of him. Because of Mosier, because hmm. everybody, is he going to Indiana? Is he going to, uh, you know, Marquette? Is he going to DePaul? Whatever. Uh, it, it just it just works on people. I, I, I think the one thing with me, uh, I, I, I think it happened here with Lonergan. Uh, the one thing with me is people knew I was done. They, you know, we just said it. This is going to be our last time. So there was not, never any like, oh, what happens here or what happens there? You know, with Mike and now even with John, uh, there's always this speculation because it's a game we love to play. Uh, where's he going? Where's he going from here? And in John's case, you certainly could have made the argument, make the argument. Well, the guy really, he deserves one of those million dollar jobs or not deserves it, but he should get one. And, uh, uh, but if that's what's on your mind all the time, kids see that they understand that again, I, I was shouted down that I was wrong about hmm. this, but I, I did. I, I thought they played like they were like their coach was leaving. I want to ask you about UVM. Uh, Steph Smith has committed to St. John's for his final year of college basketball. And look, well, first off, you tell me, take me back into the vault. How historic a program is St. John's? It's an it's an amazingly historical program, and and I think with uh, uh, with its reemergence um, in the Big East, I think Anderson is doing good things there. I like the way they play. They play a little differently than most people in the league. But I mean, back in the day with Mullen and, and Walter Berry and Lou Carnesecca and 
going against uh, Big John and and uh, Bayheim. That that was that was a big time program. And of course, as you know, being from the suburbs, playing at the Garden was like the ultimate. It was yeah. the ultimate, you know. So, uh, and when they were good, and when they played Georgetown or Villanova in the Garden, man, those games were they were just unbelievable. So that is the kind of job where you say we can bring this back, we can get this back uh, to prominence. Maybe not a Final Four, but they could go to a Final Four. They're they're built for that because of their league. Uh, now, if he's good enough to do it and get him players to get him there, we'll see. But I like Anderson. I like what he's done there. And uh, and I think Steph is a, is a good fit. And how about we guys leaving us to go to St. John's? Huh? Yeah, you know what the, the thing is, and I'm not saying – I don't. I just shouted down for this. I wish Steph the best. I hope he goes and plays 20 minutes there a night and, and plays well. I am surprised he chose it because he said – my number one thing about my next school is I want to help my pro opportunities. St. John's doesn't get players to the NBA. The Big East isn't getting players to the NBA. So if it's about the NBA, he could have done better than St. John's. And if it's about high level overseas, he could have gotten that anywhere. Heck, he could have stayed at UVM and gotten the high level overseas. <laughs> so I'm confused as to why he chose St. John's based on what he said was important to him. Well, I, I, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on all those things. Uh, I would make the one argument uh, that the way they play is really good for him. And uh, he'll get a lot of open shots and he'll get a lot of running up and down the floor, you know, 94 feet on defense and, and uh, the floor will be wide open uh, that, that, and, and maybe, uh, you know, I don't know what his relationship is, how, how he knew, um, you know, Mike or, or how that all worked, but um, yeah, it, it was a strange choice to me, but I'm just, this whole thing blows me away. Great. how 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 we get these guys and we train them and, yeah. <laughs> and then they go to the big leagues. <laughs> but, you know, one last thing kind of on that point, you mentioned the transfer portal earlier. Um, I think I saw the other day, there's a thousand names in the transfer portal and you know what? I'm sure it works out for some kids and for some kids it's good. And for some programs it's good, but I do think in some way it's hurting college basketball in that, I don't know who's who anymore for the most part. I don't know who plays where. And I think that hurts the overall health of the sport. There's no question about that. Uh, Arkansas had 10 new guys, 10 new guys. I mean, what, what is that? How does that work? You know? And so, uh, and, and yeah, the 10 guys got them to the elite eight. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't tell you five guys on Arkansas and it's because of that, you know? Uh, and I think the, the, the idea that it's just going to be open door and it's going to sting people for a while. I think eventually it'll, you know, the, the it will correct itself as they say. Uh, but what I worry about Brady is that there's going to, you know, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of guys that get left on the, on the steps. Yeah. They're just not going to, right. They're not going to, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put my name in. Well, what if there's no place for you? What if nobody wants you? Then what do you do? Then you can't go back, you know? So I, I'm anxious to see, how this whole thing plays out, my boy, and coaches really, really are going to have to be on the top of their game, be ready to adjust the situations, and how you coach guys coming and going in a revolving door. Tom Brennan, former Catamount Hoops coach, the rest of the Elite Eight tonight, top seeded Gonzaga, is uh, taking on USC, UCLA, and Michigan as well. And then we will have a Final Four set, and uh, We'll have a championship game played by the time we speak to TB next week. So, TB, we appreciate you, and we will uh, talk to you again in seven days. Always a pleasure, Brady Farkas. Thank you for having me. Good luck. Thank you, TB. Always a pleasure.
having you. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, we're talking to TB at the very beginning about it. That UConn-Baylor game was absolutely enthralling yesterday. And, look, I make no bones about it. I do not pretend to be a women's basketball um, expert, but I can tell you this, that last night the men's tournament and the women's tournament were on side-by-side. They will be tonight as well. And last night, third, fourth quarter of the women's game, I was all in on that, barely flipped back to the men's game. It was just, it was better basketball. It was more fun. It was the top two teams in that bracket in the Elite Eight as opposed to two versus 12, which was uh, Houston and Oregon State. It was a great game between Baylor and UConn. So what we'll do, we'll get a national news update from CBS. We'll get ready for our Tom Brennan takeaways. But I got some texts from you that I want to catch up on regarding Jimmy Garoppolo and the Patriots. So it's coming up here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. If you miss any of our show any day or any of our exclusive interviews, you can always subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I appreciate you. We are approaching rapidly 150,000 downloads of the Brady Farkas show. We will probably hit that by the end of the week. So appreciate all of you for your uh, continued contribution to this show's success. It's hard to believe we are five, just about five months exactly since we launched. The podcast numbers have certainly exceeded my expectations. The live listening has been great. You guys on the text line, we'll get to some of your messages here in a minute. We will have... Tom Brennan takeaways here shortly, but again, I do want to catch up on some of your texts on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026. We started off the show talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and his mindset with the Patriots, but uh, Frank in Middlebury says, Brady, on the Jimmy G stuff, I would agree he probably doesn't want to play under under the 49er circumstances right now, but do you think the Patriots are a better situation than the 49ers as it is? Um, the Patriots team right now, their team situation is not better than the 49ers. Not right now, but that doesn't make the situation overall worse. Okay. The Patriots team is worse than the 49ers that they played. I think that the 49ers would win. 49ers crushed the Patriots last year. I think the 49ers are a better team than the Patriots, but just that doesn't make their situation better. The Pats situation would be better in a lot of ways. First off, the AFC East is more easily winnable. The Jets are in a rebuild. If they take a quarterback at two, which I think they should, they're still in more of a rebuild than uh, you know than anyone in the NFC West. The NFC West is loaded. When we talk about the Niners, Seahawks, Rams, Cardinals, all three of those teams around the 49ers are going for it. The teams around the Patriots I still think are, are, are there to be had. The Jets are in a rebuild. The Dolphins aren't at the end of their rebuild yet. So Buffalo's very good, but there's one great team for the Patriots to overcome in the AFC East. There's three great teams for the Niners to overcome in the NFC West. So the path to the playoffs is probably easier in the AFC overall than the NFC because of how good the 49ers division is. Now the AFC is no cakewalk. Kansas City, Buffalo, Cleveland, Baltimore, a bunch of interesting teams like Pittsburgh and the Chargers. So the the AFC 
is no cakewalk. But because of how hard the division is for the 49ers, they're going to lose some games in that division. And therefore, it's going to be harder to obtain a wild card spot. So I think the playoffs are more easily attained with the Patriots than they are with the 49ers. And there's still a familiarity there for Jimmy Garoppolo with the Patriots. I think the Pats overall would be a better situation just given it's clear San Francisco doesn't want Jimmy G long-term, and which is what he thought they wanted. So when you look at the Patriots situation, their team is not as good. But the playoffs, I think, are more easily attainable. There's a familiarity with the coaching staff. And then, you know, if the Patriots go get Jimmy Garoppolo, there'd be, I would at least imagine, a feeling of, hey, I'm wanted here where, hey, I'm being replaced in San Francisco. And that kind of happiness and that kind of peace of mind, I think, would make the 49ers a worse situation than the Patriots because the Patriots can offer Jimmy G that peace of mind that the 49ers can't. A couple of other texts. Tom and East Montpelier. Brady, I'm a Celtics fan, but they are beyond pathetic this year, especially in the weak Eastern Conference. The Nets are the second coming of the Warriors from a few years back. They check all the boxes of a super team and are so much fun to watch. They will beat whoever comes out West if they can stay healthy. Um, You know, yeah, the, the Nets are loaded. What can I say? And I don't love the idea of a super team. I don't love that idea. You know, I like, you know, I like what Giannis is doing. Okay, Giannis is there, and he doesn't have Durant. He's got Chris Middleton, who's good. He had Eric Bledsoe for a while. Now he's got Drew Holiday. Like he's got good players around him, but he doesn't have incredible superstars. I like what Giannis is doing. I like what um, Russell Westbrook tried to do in Oklahoma City. I like the idea of having a star on a bunch of teams and then moving on and. You know, having a star and a bunch of teams rather than four or five teams with all the stars. So I like that. But the Nets have done nothing wrong. There's a lot of people out here complaining about the Nets and the super team. They've done nothing wrong. Okay? They were bad forever. The Nets were bad for what seems to me to be about a decade where the Nets were just awful and the Nets were irrelevant. So if it takes you a decade of irrelevance... And then you can come and beat the system for a year or two. You know what? I guess that's okay because they paid their dues. And fans paid their dues as far as I'm concerned. We don't have to love it. And I don't want the Nets to go on a 10-year run. But I don't. this isn't going to be a 10-year run. Kyrie's flaky off injured. Durant now is off injured and moody. Harden, he's putting on a good face now. But I don't know that he's going to be like this in three or four years. We've seen him flame out. You know, multiple teammates in Houston. So, you know, the Nets, by the way, they were so bad for so long, they mortgaged their entire future to go get Harden. They were bad forever, cleared cap space, which is what allowed them to get Durant and Kyrie in the first place. And now a couple of, what, aging veterans want to go join them and Blake Griffin, who we don't think is all that great. Like, the Nets are exploiting the super team system right now, but I can't complain too much about it. I mean, they were bad forever. Their fans deserve some good, you know, I just don't want it to last forever. And even when we look at the Warriors, now the Warriors were great. We're talking about a four-year run with the Warriors, and it's over. The Warriors will be lucky to make the eighth seed in the playoffs this year. It's it's over for the Warriors. Their dynasty is done after four years. I don't even know that the Nets will get four years. It might be a great two or three, but I don't know that they're getting four. Nets are good. Celtics are frustrating. They lose again last night to the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. One more text here. 
Michael and Bennington. Brady, great interview with Coach Brennan. I always love hearing his insight. What did you think about his comments that it's easier to build a mid-major power like Gonzaga on the West Coast? You know, when he said that, my eyes perked up also, or my ears perked up also. I'd never really given it thought, and kudos to the staff who already had some stats on this after Tom Brennan said that, which is amazing. I think what Brennan says actually makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I did a quick search, or we did a quick search, the, guy, the crew did, of Gonzaga's roster. Almost the entire team is from the West Coast or international. A lot of Washington, Oregon, California. And there certainly are less programs out West for which to, you know, so they've helped get a monopoly on West Coast talent. There's less teams out there to compete with for West Coast talent. And, you know, at this point, UCLA, Oregon, USC, Arizona, like is that it that Gonzaga is really recruiting with or against rather for top tier talent? So you're looking at maybe four teams that are going against Gonzaga for top-tier talent. And when Gonzaga was growing, for instance, I'd have to imagine it was a little easier because, again, there are less teams on the West Coast. We counted in the commercial break. There are 53 schools on what we would deem the West Coast. 53 schools on what we would deem the West Coast. You have more than 300 Division I schools in the rest of the country, so a more concentrated area you have 300 plus Division One schools. That's a lot of competition there in recruiting. So I think what Tom Brennan says, there's something to that. You have less really good programs out there for you to battle with out west, and you have less programs in general. 53 programs on the West Coast, 300 plus over the rest of the country. I can see why Gonzaga is building a monopoly on West Coast talent. I think Tom Brennan is onto something. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. Okay, let's get to our Tom Brennan takeaways, kind of continue on on there. We asked TB about the transfer portal. Okay, I've seen yesterday there are more than 1,000 names in the NCAA men's basketball transfer portal. I asked TB about his thoughts on the portal and if it's good or bad for the sport. Uh, and I think the, the, the idea that it's just going to be open door and, and it's going to sting people for a while, I think eventually it'll – you know, the, the, it will correct itself, as they say. Uh, but what I worry about, Brady, is that there's going to, you know, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of guys that get left on the, on the steps. Okay. There's a few points to this. So first off, to Brennan's point about the players, he's right. Some kids are going to get left behind. Everyone thinks the current place they're at is bad for them or that the grass is greener. And for some of them, that's true. Some of them are in bad situations or the coach leaves or the program's going a different direction. For some players, transferring is the best answer. But there's plenty of kids who are leaving and probably never end up finding their footing to Coach Brennan's point. Okay, remember this. No college team loves you like your first team does. And nobody loves you like your first coaching staff. And the reason why your new school... They weren't there with you in the beginning. They didn't develop the relationship with your family. They didn't trek through bad weather potentially to get to your high school games. They didn't give up family vacations to come to your AAU games. The new school doesn't have that loyalty. The old school does. Okay, When a coach leaves, the coach who recruited you, 
I understand people transferring who want to follow that coach because they do have that relationship. They did do those things. But if it's not that, I think there's a lot of people transferring from schools that will never find what they're looking for. And TB is right. Kids will get left behind, and that is a bad thing ultimately when kids get left behind. And I ultimately think the transfer portal is bad for the sport of college basketball. Okay? Look, I used to. I got to admit this. When I was first starting in this business, I used to hold back some honesty in this business. I felt... It was my job to know everything, and I hated to prepare unprepared. I would rather ignore something or fake my way through something if I didn't know a lot about it. I have ditched that mentality now, and I'll just be honest with you. When it comes to college basketball recently, we simply, you know what, not even we, I simply don't know these players. For the most part in the NCAA tournament, I didn't know a lot of these players coming into the tournament. I have felt more detached and more unprepared to talk about college basketball outside of UVM or the America East than any other year in my career or any other year since I was about 12 years old. By and large, I don't know these players. If they were a huge recruit like Zion, I knew. I'm aware of all the ones you're aware of. The four-year players from back in the day, the J.J. Reddicks, the Tyler Hansbros, of course, I knew those guys as well. But by and large, I think I'm in the same boat as a lot of you. We just don't know these players. You don't even know who's on your favorite team anymore because so many players are leaving. I looked at Syracuse today, and there's already multiple players in the transfer portal from Syracuse that just went to the Sweet 16. A Syracuse team that just got to the Sweet 16 and was eliminated a few days ago, there's already people in the transfer portal. You don't even know who's on your own team for next year. Nevertheless, who's going to be on your opponents, your rivals, or anyone else in the country. And I don't know the answer to this. I'm not saying that kids shouldn't be allowed to transfer and should just be stuck in bad situations, because that's not the case. But the transfer portal with a thousand names in it here, and the season's not even over, with more than a thousand names in it, and players just constantly shifting all around the country, there's no continuity, and that does take my interest. Okay, J.J. Redick, Tyler Hansborough, you either loved them or you hated them, but those players who stayed in one spot for four years, you developed a relationship to them. And I can't develop a relationship to any player in college basketball. The only ones I know now, it feels like, are Zion, are the top recruits or the top NBA prospects. That's it. And the transfer portal is part of this. Guys are so, and and women, I'm sure this exists on the women's side too. Players are so willing and so freely able to just leave that I think it's hurt the development of the sport because I just don't know these players. We're going to watch Gonzaga play here in less than one hour. And I think most people, the number one team in the country, couldn't name more than three players on their roster before the tournament started. I tell you what, honestly, I couldn't either. I knew Jalen Suggs, Timmy, and Kispert, and that's it. And five years ago in this business, I would have hid that from you, but I think the transfer portal is part of it. We just don't know the players. We you know, we can't develop a love for them. We can't see them as heroes because they're in one day and gone the next, and we can't develop a hate for them because they're in one day and not the next. 
The transfer portal stuff, by the way, also got me thinking about the University of Vermont. Now, UVM has taken advantage of the transfer portal before, right? Duncan DeMuth from Oklahoma State, Justin Missoula, George Washington, Thomas Murphy, Daniel Giddens came in as a grad transfer from Alabama. They've taken advantage of the transfer portal. But you know what UVM hasn't had? They haven't had people leaving and entering the portal. I just told you more than a 1,000 names are in the transfer portal. We rarely, if ever, see UVM players entering the transfer portal to leave. We see them come. We rarely see them leave. Steph Smith is a grad transfer. That's that's a different situation. I can't think of one player who was here in my four years here and left. I can't think of one player. Bernie and uh, Bernie Andre rather committed here, never actually came, and then decommitted. That doesn't really count. You know. Okay, Dave in Waterbury says Brady Rob Petty left. That's the one. Okay. There is that is the only player in my four years here that I can remember leaving UVM was Rob Petty, who didn't play a whole lot here. That that that's it. Rob Petty, the big man, is the only one I can think of. The fact that players are not leaving UVM, I think, shows something about what John Becker has built. Guys want to come, they want to stay, they aren't looking to leave. And it's crazy. The coaches essentially have to re-recruit their players every year now. And it's amazing that UVM has been able to retain their players. Look, I understand in college the, the, the coaches seem to have all the control. The players have none. So generally, I don't feel bad for coaches in college because they have a pretty good life. But in this case, I do. Recruiting is really hard. It's the lifeblood of a program. It's ex- extremely important and extremely hard, and it's getting even harder. And it's really competitive. And now, not only do you have to bring in four or five new players every year, you have to re-recruit your own players every year. And God, that must be taxing on any coach in college sports. To, re-retain, to retain your own players. 1,000 players in the transfer portal already. That is in. Sane. Let me see if I can find the number real quick because I, I had it yesterday written down. So let me see if I can find it through my notes here. Um, eh, there were 1,032 names in the transfer portal for next year. 1,032 names. That was yesterday at about 7 o'clock that that got put out there. 1,032. It's not good for the sports popularity because they just don't know who plays where. It's not good for the overall exposure to the sport because we don't know who plays where. It's tough on the current coaching staffs because you're re-recruiting your own players every year and you're always at the risk of losing them. But kudos to UVM. They've been able to keep theirs. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get to who's saying what. We do it every day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. All right. They really said that? That's the issue for me, is that he is limited physically in a vacuum. Cam Newton's shoulder is what it is. His body is what it is. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, 
and WDEVradio.com. Let's see. Uh, Dean says, I rarely disagree with your subject content, but when a university can yank a scholarship away every year, a player should have the opportunity to transfer. How many of the players were having a scholarship pulled and need to transfer out? Look, Dean, I just said, I don't think a player should be stuck in a poor situation. I also understand if a new coach comes in and says, hey, you're not welcome any here, not welcome anymore here, you have to leave. But I would venture to bet that of those 1,032 names, a majority of them are players that are just looking for the next opportunity or thinking the grass is greener. And again, if a player thinks that, they should have the right to do that. What I am simply saying to you is that the transfer portal to me has been bad for the sport's overall growth. When I don't know who the players are anymore, that's a problem. Back in the day, I could tell you who the starting five for Duke was. I could tell you who was starting at Indiana. I could tell you the top two players at UCLA. I could tell you at Syracuse who was playing. When I look at the the team that won the title for Syracuse 16 years ago, I wasn't even a Syracuse fan. Jerry McNamara, Carmelo Anthony, Queth Dwayne, Hakeem Warwick, and Craig Forth. That was the starting lineup, okay? And there's something to be said for those players who, now Mello, he was the Zion, so we knew him because of his st- of his status. McNamara at the time was a young star as well, but the other players, they were players that were there, had been established for a couple of years, and had stayed. They weren't players who just were ringers, and that's what a lot of these players feel like now, is everybody just being a ringer around the country. Players should have the right to leave if the situation is bad. I'm not trying to hold them places. But for me, and I think for a lot of you, you don't know who the players are because the players keep changing, and they change frequently, and they change every year, and that's not good for the sport itself. Uh, Earlier in the hour, Tom and East Montpelier was talking about the Celtics. Well, Jay Williams of ESPN Radio was also talking about the Celtics, and he had this to say after the team's most recent loss to the Pelicans last night. We end up blaming the players a ton, and I get that. The players deserve a lot of the responsibility. There's a lot of accountability there. And maybe Kimba Walker is actually talking to Kimba Walker because he's a leader on this team as well. But at the end of the day, the coach's job is to push the talent. The coach's job is to figure out who are the right pieces on our team with the general manager and Danny Ames to say, who gives us the best chemistry here? So if we've been talking about chemistry issues for a while now, if we're saying that they are underperforming, CC, the way you just alluded to, I've been saying this for a while too. Why do we keep blaming the players? Okay, so Jay Williams says, why are we blaming the Celtics players and not the um, not management, not Danny Ainge, and not Brad Stevens. Well, the reason we're not blaming them is pretty simple. The NBA is called a player's league. It is called the player's league always, all the time. When teams win, it's always because of the players. We have devalued the coach completely in the NBA and made it a star-driven player's league. So if the players are going to get all the credit, the players are going to get a majority of the blame. I'm not absolving completely Danny Ainge or Brad Stevens, but when Jay Williams says, why are the players not you know, taking all the blame? Because the players get all of the credit also. When it's a player's league, okay, football is less of a player's league. Now, some of the you know prior to legal issues, Deshaun Watson and others are trying to make it a player's league, but by and large, the, large, the NFL is a coach's league. Coaches have the power there, okay? but 
in the NBA, players have the power. So they deserve the blame for as often as they get the credit. Think about this. Phil Jackson, we would say, is arguably the greatest coach of all time. And what do we hear? Oh, anybody could win with Michael and Scotty. The coach was devalued. Oh, anybody, Phil, could win with Shaq and Kobe. The coach was devalued. Steve Kerr, he wins a title, right? Steph, Clay, and Durant. Well, oh, anybody could win if I had that. You know, I could win the title if I had that Warriors team. The coach is devalued. The coach has been so devalued in the NBA. You know, when Kawhi Leonard went to Toronto and won, how much credit did Nick Nurse get? Not a lot. How much credit did Kawhi Leonard get? Pretty much all of it. So, therefore, when the coaches don't get any credit and they're just seen as ancillary pieces who were required to be there, I'm not giving them all the blame, too. Again, I'm not absolving everyone of blame, but... But I'll start with Danny Ainge first, actually. Danny Ainge has done a lot of what we ask coaches to do. And do you think Ainge and Stevens deserve more blame here? 802-585-3026 on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. We ask general managers like Danny Ainge, we ask them all the time, hey, be smart in the draft. Well, Danny Ainge has been really good in the draft, hasn't he? Trades back from one to three, doesn't take Markel Fultz, goes and gets Jason Tatum. That seems to have worked. He takes Jalen Brown at three, who we knew nothing about, questioned the pick. Boom, Jalen Brown, all-star. Robert Williams late in the first round, emerging as a player. Nobody wants to get rid of him. Danny Ainge took him too. We also ask general managers to be generally smart with money. We ask him to not overpay. Well, He ditches Isaiah Thomas against my wishes for sure and against a lot of Celtics' wishes. He ditches Isaiah Thomas. He ditches a fan favorite who who don't. But people said, don't overpay Isaiah. Don't back up the Brinks truck. So they don't back up the Brinks truck. They they ship him out. They go get Kyrie Irving. We say it's a star-driven league. Danny goes and gets a star. Then when Kyrie leaves, he turns around and gets another star. And he goes and gets Kemba Walker. We ask GMs to be good in the draft. Danny's been that. We ask him to not overpay stars, not overpay players. Did that too. We ask him to go get stars. He's went and got a couple of them, Kyrie and then Kemba. Okay, so we didn't get Anthony Davis. Big deal. Celtic fans also haven't wanted to part with anything, so I don't know how you can go get Anthony Davis if you don't want to give up Kemba or you don't want to give up Tatum, rather. You don't want to give up Brown. He's drafted well. He's retained his young stars. He's locked up his young stars. He's kept the culture piece in Marcus Smart. He hasn't overvalued the wrong guys. He's gone out and made moves to acquire pieces. Like, what more are we looking for out of Danny Ainge? And as for Brad Stevens, you know, we think he knows what he's doing. We think he knows the game, and he's not a guy that players hate. That's generally the requirement we have of an NBA head coach. Know what you're doing and don't have people hate you. We think the coach is not important. The only thing they need to do is be able to draw up successful out-of-bounds plays and not be hated. Brad Stevens seems to have done that. So when Jay Williams asks, why are the players getting the blame and not coaches and management, that's why. Danny Ainge has done nearly everything we ask, and Brad Stevens is you know doing pretty much everything that we want him to do also. So there you go. That's why. That is why they're not getting the blame that maybe Jay Williams wants them to. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, when we come back, 
I was watching the Red Sox today in spring training, the spring training finale. There's one player this year that I really, really want to work. Because if he does, he'll make Heim Bloom look even better than I think he already does. I'll tell you who that is next right here on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The Brady Farkas Show brought to you in part by Evan Holstrom Racing. Evan Holstrom Racing, uh... He's going to start his season, by the way, this weekend. Very, very exciting. I can't believe we're already in racing season again on the late models and all the things we usually see at Thunder Road. Evan Holstrom is 18 years old, located in Northfield, based in Northfield, and he's one of several Vermonters going down this weekend to Hickory, North Carolina. Hickory, North Carolina, they've got the uh, the Easter Bunny double event there at the historic Hickory Motor Speedway. It goes off on Friday and then on Saturday. So 125 laps. We'll actually have a little bit of that on WDEV this week as we talk about it with uh, Mike Stridesberg of the uh, ACT. He'll be with us at some point here this week. He's on his way down to North Carolina this week to uh, to take in the action. Several Vermonters are going, including, again, Evan Holstrom. Member of the 2021 Pro All-Star Series Super Late Models. And he kicks off his season this weekend, Friday and Saturday, down in Hickory, North Carolina. Good to see racing back in action. And uh, Evan Holstrom, the youngest uh, racer to ever qualify for the Milk Bowl. Unbelievable there. Did that back in 2017. He qualified at the age of 15. So Evan Holstrom Racing, proud sponsor of the Brady Farkas Show. We wish him luck this upcoming week in North Carolina. I was watching the Red Sox earlier today. Watched a couple of innings of the spring training finale against the Braves, and I came to this conclusion. I really want Franchi Cordero to work for the Sox this year. The broadcast on Nesson at the beginning of the game, Dave O'Brien and Dennis Eckersley were really talking him up. Okay, he's a guy with power, and he can run. He was hitting 294 coming into today's spring training finale. And if he works out, he is a perfect perfect culmination, perfect perfect example of what High and Bloom is doing. And I want High and Bloom to keep hitting home runs because I think he hit home runs throughout this offseason. So Bloom trades Andrew Benatendi, who's a young player with two years left on his deal, for Cordero, who's actually two months older than Benatendi, but has three years left on his deal. So he gets a player essentially the same age, but gets another year of contract control. And by the way, Cordero is also a lot cheaper than Benatendi is. And given Cordero's power-speed combo, he's better for the modern game than Benatendi is. And remember, the Red Sox also got a pitching prospect in the deal. So they get a pitcher, which they need. They get a prospect, which they need. And they get a major league-ready player in Cordero. And they get one with an extra year of team control 
at a cheaper rate. That's smart by Hyam Bloom. And if Franchi Cordero hits, that's going to make Hyam Bloom look like a genius. He gets the pitching he needed. He gets the prospects he needed. He refills the farm system like he's needed to. And he goes and gets a major league player who can replace Benintendi and whose skill set fits better with today's baseball than Benintendi does. And he gets it for an extra year. And he's cheaper. That's a huge win for High and Bloom. I hope it works out for Bloom because I want Bloom to continue to look good. Like High and Bloom has had a great offseason. Kike Hernandez, win. Marwin Gonzalez, win. Adam Adovino, win. Garrett Richards, win. He's gone after all the types of players we said he should. And then he goes and gets a couple of prospects, and now he gets Cordero, same age as Benintendi, an extra year and cheaper. He won't be the fan favorite that Benintendi was because he came through the system, but he may prove pretty valuable for this team. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Miles from Essex Junction says, Brady, you seem to have revisionist history. Weren't you against this trade when it happened? Meaning the Benatendi trade. Um, No, I was never against the trade. I was never against the idea of trading Andrew Benatendi. I did think you could let Benatendi rebuild his value by waiting till the All-Star break and trying to send him to a contender. And I did think you could have gotten a player with a little more team control than Cordero. But the more I hear about Cordero and the more I see of Cordero, I get excited about him. He's a good player, and even just having the one extra year of team control is a good thing. The guy in Cordero can clearly hit for power. There is no doubt about that. He homered on Sunday off of Jose Barrios of the Twins, who's a frontline pitcher in this league. He took him way out to right field. And Cordero runs well. And again, like it or not, his game translates better to the modern game than Benatendi does. Look, I want the ball put in play, right? Like, we all want the ball put in play. But as of right now, the ball doesn't get put in play a lot. It gets put over walls. Cordero does that. Benatendi, we still don't really know what kind of player Andrew Benatendi is. Like, we had Lou Merloni on, former Red Sox infielder. We had him on. November 12th of 2020. And this is what Lou Merloni told us about Andrew Benatendi then. I think the big problem is he doesn't know what he is. You know, and, and like you said, we saw what he looked like his rookie year. I like to think he's more of that guy, you know, but he, he put on some weight to try to add power and strength um, the year before, and he lost his athletic ability. Last year was supposed to be a turnaround, and obviously it didn't go well and get hurt. So um, he's not a guy you can move right now, that's for sure. So. That was, again, November 12th, so the Sox did end up moving Benatendi in that trade to the Royals. But look, Lou says he he tried to be a power guy, lost his athletic ability. Then he was going to be a speed guy, and he got hurt. Like, I think at his best, Andrew Benatendi could be a 2020 guy. And maybe the Royals use him a little more, and they use his speed a little more. But Benatendi hadn't quite figured out who he is. And Franchi Cordero, he may not be a 2020 guy, but he might be a 25-15 guy. He might be a 28-12 guy. He may get to 40 total between home runs and steals. Benatendi might too. And if I can get an extra year of team control and they're both going to get to 40, then I'd say that works out well for Hein Bloom. And Hein Bloom continues to have a, uh, a – he had a great offseason. He had a great offseason. 
Nobody likes that he had to trade Mookie Betts. He walked into a bad situation there. Did the best he could with that. Got Jeter Downs, who looks to be good. Connor Wong looks to be pretty good behind the plate. Okay. Did pretty well. Adovino trade did great. Pretty well in the Benintendi trade, I think, overall. And did great with some of his low. I mean, Garrett Whitlock, who they took in the Rule 5 draft, looks like he might be the best reliever on this team. I mean, I think Bloom had a great offseason. A couple other notes quick on the Red Sox. Um, they got great news yesterday on Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes is going to be able to play for the Sox on opening day. And opening day is Thursday. We'll have it for you. 210 with the first pitch, 110 with the pregame show against the Orioles. So Matt Barnes, it was a false positive, evidently, for COVID-19. He remains in line to pitch opening day, high leverage innings for the Sox, and every other close contact who Barnes was identified as being near is also back with the team too. And first and foremost, I'm just glad because I want everybody to be healthy. That That's first and foremost, okay? Barnes and everyone else who was contact traced to him, I'm glad that they are okay. But second, this whole situation was a sobering reminder that COVID is still here and will still impact the season. You know, state leaders spoke today at the governor's COVID-19 response news conference kind of about pandemic fatigue and growing case counts. And look, I follow all the rules, right? Wear masks, et cetera. I follow all the rules. But in my own mind, even I had started to look past everything and started thinking about normal again. And this whole Matt Barnes thing just showed us you can't do that. The season could still be impacted. It won't be derailed. They will play this season. But the season will be impacted because of COVID-19. And this Matt Barnes situation reminded us of that because I was getting to the point where I was thinking, hey, spring looks good. Season's going to look good. Vaccines are coming. I'm like, baseball is going to be great this year. It still will be great. But COVID is still here. and It's still going to impact it. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Get a text in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line from uh, Marcus, who is over in uh, Colchester, who says, you know, you're right, Brady. Well said. I hope that everyone – I'm glad that everyone with the Red Sox is okay. Looking forward to the season. Yep, 210 with the first pitch on Thursday, 110 with the pregame show. Okay, let's uh, do this. We do it every day. Crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. I can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, crazy Twitter takes today on the Brady Farkas Show come from kind of continuing on the COVID front. Baylor women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey last night after her team lost to Connecticut in the women's NCAA tournament Elite Eight. I want to say this to all of you. I don't think my words will matter, but after the games today and tomorrow, there's four teams left, I think, on the men's side and the women's side. They need to dump the COVID testing. Wouldn't it be a shame to keep COVID testing and then you got kids that end up having test positive or something and they don't get to play in the Final Four? So you need to just forget the, the, the COVID test and let the four teams that are playing in each Final Four go battle it out. Look, that's a crazy Twitter take from Kim Mulkey on a couple of different levels, but let me just start here. This didn't feel 
like a comment about basketball. That felt like a pre-planned statement she had planned to make all along. Okay, On the surface, it comes off like, hey, we don't want these young women to lose an opportunity to play in the Final Four. That's how it comes off when you first hear it. But Kim Mulkey's team lost. This isn't about her kids, about her players getting an opportunity to play in a title game. This isn't about protecting her program's ability to win the title. And even that, putting that above safety would be a problem. But this isn't even about her team. This feels like an agenda that Kim Mulkey had, and this wasn't the time or the place for that. I don't know Kim Mulkey, nor will I speak for her. But I do know Baylor's a school in Texas, a state that is clearly more loose on the COVID thought process, so this can't help but feel like she thinks COVID is just an inconvenience to her at this point. I mean, the state she lives in has essentially said COVID is over and, and it's all all good now. So maybe she thinks that. COVID is basically an inconvenience to Kim Mulkey. And this was not the time or the place to make that statement. Okay. But more importantly, like off the, the, the actual COVID comments, more importantly, what I think is her agenda It took away from her basketball team, and that's a real shame. Her comments took away from her basketball team, her basketball team that went 28-3 and and got to a regional final, her basketball team that made it through COVID-related obstacles, which ironically enough include Kim Mulkey getting COVID. This team went 28-3, and got to a regional final, played without their head coach who had COVID. Kim Mulkey's comments about COVID take away from the fact that her team lost a great basketball game, and by the way, a basketball game that could have been great for the growth of the women's game. I know I said this. The last 12 minutes of the game last night, UConn women, Baylor women, I watched every one of that. I watched none of Houston, Oregon State in that time. I know a lot of others felt that way also. The story after the game should have been about Baylor's accomplishments, her team's story, the legacy of her players, and it should have been about her team playing a game that could have pushed the sport forward. But instead, the story was about her. The story was about Kim Mulkey, and I feel bad for her players, and I feel bad for that. Yes, her comments in general were ignorant. Think about it. Think about how many teams and players opted out of the season this year. Think about the players that actually developed long-term illness from COVID within the sport. Okay, And the tournament is being played in Texas where there is no mask mandate. Everyone around the tournament is practically living in their own country. There are safety reasons why they are testing like they are at the NCAA tournament. Everybody else around the tournament is in their own little world. And hey, that's fine. That's the state's rules. But the goal is to keep the players and the people in the NCAA's party safe. And this is how they're doing it. So I'm sorry that COVID... Testing is an inconvenience to Kim Mulkey at this point. But more so than anything, you took away from your team. You took away from your team that got to the Elite Eight in in spite of unbelievable adversity this year. And this game of which a lot of people watched you instead of the men. We've talked a lot this week or this tournament about how to make the women's tournament equal to the men. Well, there were a lot of people watching the women last night instead of the men. And you diverted their attention now away from a great game onto talking about COVID, of which nobody wants to talk about at this point. We followed the rules. We're all COVID out, and you've made us do it again. You took away from your team, and that is really a shame 
for your players. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We will uh, come back. We will get. We will wrap up the show. Hard to believe it. We will wrap up the show here with our closing thoughts. That's next on WDEV. 26. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay. Closing thoughts right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Remember, if you miss any of the show or our interview with Tom Brennan, we got a couple other special interviews up there, including uh, Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, who covers the Patriots, and also Ken Kreitz, who's a Shelburne, Vermont uh, resident, who helped co-found RotoWire, which is one of the leaders in the fantasy sports um, space. So I had a talk with uh, Ken about a little bit about RotoWire's history, but also some specifics on. Patriots players and Red Sox players going into the season and projections that Rotowire has for them. So looking forward to uh, talking with, you know, or having you guys listen to uh, Ken Kreitz and Phil Perry. Freddie uh, Coleman will be with us tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show. The final thoughts are this. The NFL has ratified it. The NFL has approved it. 17 games is coming. 17 game schedules next year. And, uh, look, I, I said this at some point a couple of weeks ago. The 17th game is actually good for the Patriots in 2020, and I'm happy that it's good for the Patriots. The Patriots will get a home game in that 17th game. It's going to be against the Dallas Cowboys. So they get a home game, they get a winnable home game, and a chance for another win, and that ultimately is good. If you're trying to get to the playoffs, Patriots having an opportunity to win another game is a very, very good thing. But all in all, I'm not really a fan of, of a 17th game in the calendar. I'm just not. I, I'm a fan of more, I'm a fan of good football, not more football. And I think we are going to see worse football in the 2020 season. Or the 2021 season, rather. We're going to see more bad football overall. Another game means more people will get injured, more quarterbacks will be missing, more inconsistent play will happen. You know, last year we had to watch John Glennon, or Mike Glennon, rather. We had to watch, uh, man, like, let me think of other bad quarterbacks we had to watch last year. I think Brett Hundley might have started the game. Like, we've had to watch bad quarterbacks plenty over the years, okay? Like, when Matt Stafford was hurt, I can't remember the guy. who We had to watch a running back play, or wide receiver play quarterback for Denver last year. I'm a fan of good football. I'm not a fan of more football, necessarily. It's good for the Patriots. It's good for the Patriots. It's another winnable game. I'm happy about that, but by and large... I'm not looking forward to another week in the NFL calendar. If you told me everyone was going to be healthy and I get to see all the top players play, then I'd be all for it. But you know and I know that is not going to be the case, and that isn't something that's going to really entice me. I mean, a a, a uh, Mike Glennon versus Nick Mullins matchup is not something that anybody's looking forward to. Case Keenum against uh, – you know, Matt Schaub is not something that people are looking forward to. I'm certainly not. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next. Brady Farkas Show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll be back at it tomorrow, everybody. Go download the pod. Freddie Coleman will be with us. Have a great night, everybody. Dinner Jazz, ESPN Radio, 11 o'clock news from WCAX. It's all right here on WDEV.